Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. And I know it's a little bit early, but we can say today, uh, Merry Christmas, and really glad that you're here. Uh, we are celebrating the arrival of the sun and if you're new or, or new around here, I'm glad you're here. And I hope that you would see that uh, we're the kind of um, church that wants to embody those things at Advent. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And so our online service next week will focus on that idea of love. Um, we've, we've already actually filmed it. It's called Love Shows Up. And I'm really excited to share that with you. And then today what I want to do here is focus on um, joy. And so uh, Jesus has some wisdom for us in John chapter 16 about joy. And then I'll read a little bit of the Christmas story here too. Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 16 and Luke chapter 2. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does this mean? What does he mean by saying, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And he uses this illustration here. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And then hear this in Luke chapter 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Um, so, Lord, uh, we, actually, we actually want what you're describing in this passage. We desire more joy in our lives. And if this passage is telling us anything, it's that when you showed up, you brought and embodied joy. And so I just pray that as we look at these passages, that, that you actually have something unique and nuanced to say about how we're filled up with that type of joy. And I just pray that you, by your grace, would meet us with that so that we could actually leave here with that in our possession. And so, Lord, I pray right now, what we um, have not, would you give us? What we know not, would you teach us? We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, part of what I was reading there was the uh, Luke 2 Christmas story, and you get that powerful statement from the angels. The angels come um, to the shepherds in the fields, and they're terrified, it says, and then the angels' words are this, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So uh, Jesus is coming. Jesus is here. It's good news. 
And the angel is actually t- uh, using this word, this announcement uh, that we talk about all the time uh, as a church. What brings the joy? The good news brings about the joy. And of course, if you've been around here, you've heard me talk about this ad nauseum. Um, do not be afraid. I bring you what? Good news. Or in the Greek, it's eongelion. Uh, um, it actually means news that brings joy. It's actually, um, think of uh, going on a CNN or something like that, and it says, breaking news, right? But imagine instead of bad news, it's good news, right? Um, Eongelion, it's news that brings joy. And so what we said all fall was that um, Christianity is not advice. Um, following Jesus is not self-help. Um, Christianity is, is actually not primarily community. It's not primarily works of justice and mercy. Th- those are important things, but it's not primarily those things. Actually, what Luke 2, this, this really short verse, is actually communicating in a very big way is that um, followers of Jesus believe that Christianity is actually a reportage of something that has happened in history. And if we could say it frankly, the good news is a person. The good news of the gospel is a person, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus comes in, 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 in presence here, and in John chapter 16, and he says, do you seek to be a joyful person? Or maybe just say it more plain. Do you want to be happy? If you want to be happy, then you have to lean into what Jesus is saying in John chapter 16, because I just don't think you're going to find anything as both realistic and nuanced as what Jesus has to say here. We live in a world in pursuit of happiness or joy, and we live in a culture in which proposes an infinite pathway to get that happiness. And so modern science says happiness is a positive range of emotions when you're content or full of joy. Um, Aristotle came along and said happiness is actually the meaning and the purpose of life, the whole aim and end to human existence. Um, Modern marketing will come along and tap into your desire for joy. If you go Google marketing and the word joy, a lot of results will come up, but what you're actually getting in that are tactics and how to tap into people's desire for joy. And so I don't know if you've ever, uh, you probably so subconsciously have seen this. Coke has always marketed their product, um, open happiness, or um, have a Coke and a, does anybody know? A smile, right? Um, uh, There's this ad, I'm so I'm so mad that it's been working on me. Um, It's like a winter in New York ad. Um, Is somebody, is anybody getting this? It's for St. Kitts? No, I'm the only one. All right. I think they've targeted me somehow through the algorithm. It's for St. Kitts. I didn't even know where St. Kitts was, but I'm like watching TV, getting ads in the show. I'm like, where is St. Kitts? I want to go there. It's winter in New York. I want to be on the beach. I want to ride this quad that they're, you know, on or whatever. And the ad is working. It's tapping in to my happiness somehow. I was reading this study about um, main means of happiness by generation, and I just, I just want to show you this really quick. Um, it's, it's, um, I should have put the source here because I can't remember exactly where this came from. What makes you happy? This is like by and large the numbers. Boomers said, and I actually, actually appreciated this about our boomers, right? The ability to support loved ones. Um, Gen X said wealth, security, and children's well-being makes them happy. Millennials growing a healthy family, and so our millennial generation is actually, there seems to be like a shift thinking about like the future more. And then Gen Z, video games and digital relationships. The Gen Z is going to catch up, all right? I don't know. These are what predominantly makes people happy or brings them joy. And I don't, I don't actually think those are 
bad or, or, or a wrong thing. I just think what Jesus is offering in John chapter 16 gets deeper at, to what joy really is and how joy actually works. So I just say it like this. Um, Advent joy, I want to talk about it being assured. He actually promises, us, promises it to us. I want to talk about how it's not circumstantial. And then I want to, I want to end talking about prayer, joy, and the cross. So um, our joy is assured. Uh, John chapter 12 um, to 20. Uh, it's really important when you're reading the scripture. You ever, you ever like pop open the scripture and you're like, I have no idea why Jesus is saying this. It's always good to zoom out um, because Jesus in, in John chapter 16 is actually speaking to his 12 closest friends, these 12 disciples, and he's talking to them about how they have joy. Uh, in the previous chapter, he's talking about what it looks like for them to use, and he uses the word abide in them or remain in him. He's, he's promising the Holy Spirit. All of these chapters are basically his final words. He's saying, I'm actually leaving. I'm not, I'm not actually going to be in the flesh anymore, but I'm actually going to go. And so uh, they should be read as such. Uh, Jesus is going to the cross. And so when I, when I read this passage, it's actually important to think about the fact that Jesus knows that he's going to die a physical death here in this passage. And so here's what he says in the, in the previous chapter, in chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as, as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And so Jesus in the previous chapter is saying, um, I, I, I am in the flesh embodied love, right? And I want you to remain in that as I'm leaving you. I want you to abide in me. And then he says, I'm telling you all of this so that the joy that I have and the joy that I bring can actually be in you and it will be complete, full, brimming over with you. I want you as a people overflowing with joy. But then he doesn't really say anything else in John chapter 15. He's like, you're going to have a lot of joy. And then he just sort of moves on. And that's where um, he picks up in verse 16. He's, he's promising uh, his disciples comfort through the Holy Spirit. He starts talking about this resurrection life that he's actually going to raise from the dead. And then I just really love the honesty of this passage. Jesus went on to say, and it's kind of confusing, he says, in a little while, you'll see me no more, and then after a little while, you'll see me. And do you see the mental barrier there for the disciples? They're like, what is Jesus talking about? Right? What, is, what is he saying? What does he mean by this? In a little while, you'll see me no more, and then after a little while, you'll see me because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? And, and, and guess what he does, which is just so funny, that are the disciples, um, they're, they're like talking about what Jesus is saying, but isn't this so true? They're like, let's figure it out first. We don't want to embarrass the teacher by saying, we don't understand what you're saying, dude. And so we're like, we're huddled up over here trying to figure it out. Jesus is saying, I'm present with you. I've incarnated. That's the message of Christmas. I'm going to die. I'm going to be absent. But then he says, don't worry. I'll be present again at the resurrection. And honestly, I'm just so grateful for this. The disciples struggle and wrestle and doubt. And isn't that following Jesus? And what does it mean? How does, how does it apply? Jesus is so kind to his disciples. He doesn't be like, again? You really don't understand again? But he says this, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And then we'll skip verse 21. We'll come back to it. 
so with you. Right now is your time for grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Jesus is saying fundamental, something fundamentally different than what the world will offer you about joy. And, 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 and it actually might sound a little bit depressing at first, but it's honest and it's realistic. And the first is this, is that, is that the, the Bible and Jesus specifically are wildly realistic uh, about the pain of the world. Jesus is not coming along and saying, you're going to have joy because all your problems are going to go away and then push it under the rug. In this very same chapter, in a few more verses, in verse 33, it says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He's saying, you're going to have problems in this world. Um, later in John, he says, it's pretty harsh. He says, the world hates me and the world is going to hate you. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. How is this a means of joy? Like, how is this the pathway for me to get joy? He says, though, that your grief, your pain, your anguish, your sorrow, your trial will actually turn into joy. And let me be really clear about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not giving any qualifiers here. He's not saying, you know what, a select few of you right here are going to have joy, but everyone else is going to have grief. Everyone else is going to have weeping and mourning. You're going to have joy, but everyone else won't. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you will have joy. Like, it's actually assured in you. And the joy Jesus promises is through and with his presence. The joy he brings at the arrival of his incarnation is assured. It's absolutely certain. It's clinched. It's confirmed. It's decided. It's secure. It's yours in him. And, and I was thinking a lot about this this week. Isn't this how we actually started in the world? Like, think back maybe to, like, teenager you. Not, not high school you. Like, I was too cynical in high school. But maybe think about, like, middle school you. Like, when you were young, you thought happiness was your whole future, right? Like, there's not a worry in your world. Anytime you think about the future, you think, well, I'm, I'm going to be happy, right? I'm, I'm confident that this is mine for the taking, right? And so we start off in the world thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy now, and I'm, I'm probably going to be happy later. It's, it's inevitable, right? I'm working towards that happiness. I don't know about you, but I, I would look at older people, and I would think, why are they so unhappy? Like, how did they mess life up, you know? But then you get a little older, and I hope this isn't too pessimistic for you here. We don't get too far in life and we say, you know what? Life is actually a bit harder than I thought. Or we, we, we would even look at what Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. You look at that and you say, you know what? Jesus was right. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And you know what? I'm just leaning into that. Um, there's a great verse in the Psalms that says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so we as a people can be wildly realistic, maybe, maybe too, and leaning into that pessimism and saying, you know what, that's right. Weeping may endure for the morning. It's just what I'm supposed to do. I'm just supposed to sit in the world tri world's trials, and that's just all my life is, right? And so we're leaning into the trial and into the weeping. But I love what Jesus is actually doing here. He's actually emphasizing the joy. He's actually saying the joy is the thing that's assured. Yeah, yes, you will have trials, but in our passage, Jesus is saying, Actually, um, grief is coming, but it's actually going to give way to joy. And so here's the first question. I want to give you three questions today for you to just take with you, um, and hopefully these are helpful for you. The first is this. Do I believe that joy is possible for me? Like, do, do you actually think that... Do you actually think this is, like, yours to, ha to have? Because, like, I know for me, there are times in my life where joy seems so unattainable because I was depressed. 
right? And, and, and maybe like a, like a little sidebar note would be, I think there are seasons of our life where they're so hard, we actually need help, like, like more help. Um, I, was, I was sitting with someone this week that was uh, ashamed to tell me um, that they were taking med- medication for their depression. And I was, I was like, it felt weird to me that it had to be that taboo. And I was like, hey, friend, like, you don't have to, you don't have to be ashamed of that at all. I've been through a season like that myself where I had to take med- medication, and, and, and that, that's hard. And, and I think that this question is so important because some of us actually live our life um, with longing and anticipation, but we actually forget that joy is possible for us because we've given into fear, we've given into um, repeat suffering in our life, or the voices of shame in other people just ring out in our ears over and over and over again. And so we think, you know what, my life is not supposed to be one of joy at all. Do I believe joy is possible? So I'm saying joy is assured. Maybe the most natural question if someone says something like that is, then why does it seem like so few people have it? Right? Jesus says joy is assured, but, but I'm, I'm walking the streets and I'm like, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are that joyful. And the reason is, is because they're looking for it in the wrong places. Here's what Jesus says. Advent joy is not circumstantial. Advent joy is not circumstantial. And what Jesus does here is he employs this incredible metaphor. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, um, this, is, this is just Jesus. If you, if you wrestle with um, Jesus coming, incarnating, um, God in the flesh, uh, death, resurrection, that's fine. What you can actually look at this and, and say is, wow, Jesus is so smart. Jesus is so smart. He's such a great teacher. And if that's like a good um, baseline step for you today, like take that step. Wow, Jesus is smart. I actually think that's a really brilliant thing to think. Because I've had, I've had the honor of watching both of my children be born. And what Jesus is saying here is, Absolutely true. I was talking to Katie about this this week. When our son was born, he came out, um, and his heart rate was elevated. And so he had to go straight from the womb right onto this table, um, the, the heat lamp over him. It was like this intense moment where, as a father, I'm like, I, I'm actually completely worthless in this moment. I don't know exactly what to do. I'm scared for my son. Um, I won't be too graphic here, but my wife was not in a good place. And what is she, what is she saying? And I asked her if I could share this with you, so don't worry. She's saying, give me my baby. Give me my baby. And they're like, you're not in a good condition to take a baby right now. Like, you need to focus on, like, healing. And crazy enough, I was reading this commentary this week, um, and it said um, about this passage, it says, don't forget that um, this is B.E. I was like, B.E.? And it says, before epidurals, right? And so, which was crazy because I was talking to Katie, and her epidural uh, that day did not work. And so there was immense pain for her. All she wants to do in that moment, she's like, the pain, the like, blood is coming out, and you're just like, oh my gosh, what is happening? She's like, give me my baby. Give me my baby. And they, I remember the doctor coming over to her, and they're like, ma'am, you need to calm down. Your baby's coming to you, okay? It was amazing, and she's screaming. And you're just like, wow, right? Childbirth in, in Jesus' time, and I think this is an important note. Um, it's, it's the context. It's like, we're not getting modern medicine like in, in the same way. Like legitimate hospitals, pain relievers, like what Jesus is saying, think like harsh, harsh, harsh. And um, Jesus is saying here, 
there's serious pain in the process. There's anguish. But, he, and, but he's clarifying what he's saying here. Jesus is not saying once her baby is born, her pain goes away. That, that's, not, that's not actually what she's say, he's saying. He's saying the, the pain is still there. He's not saying everything is suddenly fine because the baby is here. He's saying she forgets the pain. She forgot that she had pain because she so has the joy of holding her child. The joy has actually seized her. She's not thinking about the pain. The pain is not controlling her anymore because the joy of holding the child has outweighed it. And this means a couple of things. Number one, it means this. Joy can coexist with sorrow. I make this point all the time that, you know, in our life, hope and despair can exist at the same time. Um, peace and, and suffering can actually coexist at the same time. And um, a life of meaning and purpose and suffering can, can coexist. And I, I, I think that's a really important point to make. But Jesus is actually saying something even deeper here than that point. He's saying the joy that he gives and provides, it's not taking away all the anguish and pain of the world, but it's actually filling you up so much that it actually helps you get through the sorrow. It fills you up. The joy is actually a, a gift, and I think that's a, I, I, we didn't, I didn't actually put this in um, here. In, in Galatians chapter 5, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. Right? It's something that actually God gives you by His grace as a gift of the Spirit, and when you're actually filled up with that joy, the joy is the thing that can help draw you through the life of pain. And so, so often we think of it a different way, actually. We say, you know what, um, happiness kind of comes and goes from my life. That's how we more, more, more uh, think about it, right? So I have happiness um, in my life when, you know, things are going well, when I got the promotion, you know, when, um, you know, when my rent is secure and steady, um, when the relationship is, you know, secure. But then when those things actually go away, then I lose my happiness. And what Jesus is saying is actually there's a joy that's deeper than these circumstances. There's a joy that's actually deeper, that can undergird, that can actually draw you through that. So let me, let me give you one more way of thinking about this um, from Psalm chapter 1, because it actually gets at um, another way of thinking about this that's really helpful. In Psalm chapter 1, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Uh, the word blessed in the Bible uh, kind of gets a bad rap. It's like, you're so blessed, you know. Uh, but the word in the Hebrew there is ashray. It, it actually just means happy is. Happy is the person who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person, this happy person, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Um, I don't know why I thought of this, but when I saw like the happy and the tree, I thought of Bob Ross. Uh, like that, the happy tree, um, if you're, maybe you might be too old to, to know who Bob Ross is, but Google him. Um, if you uh, walk in the city right now, you're going to look at trees. I was walking through Gramercy Park this morning, um, and where are trees in the process, in the seasons? Uh, they're all dying, right? Uh, there was like one tree, I think, with leaves left on it in, in the park, because trees are subject to season. Uh, the trees in Gramercy right now are not bearing fruit. They're not blossoming, they're in a process of like a, maybe you'd call it like a seasonal death, right? Because trees are subject to the external circumstances of the world, right? A winter or an intense or dry summer, it feels the season. It's not always bearing fruit. It's not always productive. And 
uh, yeah, it's a good way to think of it. The trees are subject to the outer circumstances of life, but the tree that's talked about here is yielding fruit. Its leaf is not withering, and whatever it does prospers. And Jesus and the psalmist are actually saying something deeper. They're saying um, this tree is finding health not because of the external or transient circumstances, but the tree is actually finding health because of its roots. Where's the tree planted, right? It's planted by the, sh- the stream, right? It has the, the source uh, of, of water and life. And Jesus is actually offering us something fundamental and permanent and not circumstantial. You and I can, can live this life, and we can always be trying to control and manage the external circumstances of our life. And there are times to, to push in and decisions to make and, and ways to actually lean in and, and, and try to do that. Um, but there are ways actually to think about what's more important. What do I have control over the external circumstances or can I actually, can I actually deepen the roots? When a tree is planted, the, the roots go down and search for something that can sustain it for life for the long haul. Right? It's, it, they go out in sources of sustenance, something to give it refreshment and life. And this tree has a source of life. It's planted by the stream. And so it has the constant and unrelenting source of life because it's deeply rooted, and hear this really well, it's deeply rooted in something outside of itself. Right? And so when the external circumstances, the, um, you know, the drought or the heat or um, in your life when you have you know, relational pain, when you're not getting along with your family, when there's physical pain coming your way, there are, there are ways to manage the external or there's actually a ways to find sustenance outside of yourself, so like a root system that goes deeper. And I think when, when you read this, maybe your, your upbringing or your context actually becomes really important. Your, your parents, your religious context, your, your schooling, because this could be a lot different. For some of you, maybe you grew up in a church, and they said, oh, you know, you're going through great tragedy in your life. Smile. Don't let it get to you. God, God's going to take care of it. This is not only unhealthy, but it's unbiblical, because it's actually not getting at what Jesus is saying. There's real sorrow in your life. This world is hard, and yet you can have a joy um, in something outside of yourself that fills you up. Or um, what our culture, by and large, believes about happiness is that we think we'll have happiness when we're completely free, right? When, when we don't have any responsibilities, when we're free to make our own rules, when we don't have to answer to anyone. But the problem is, is that tree dies when it's not connected to a source outside of itself. Uh, that's why in the next verse it says, the wicked are not so, they are like chaff. The chaff, is the, the wind blows it away. When you don't have an anchor point outside of yourself to root you and give you life and sustenance, you blow away. And a follower of Jesus is a person who says, I'm planted and I'm rooted in something outside of myself that can give me life. So the Bible says you can find your happiness in your externals or your circumstances, but it's going to be completely fleeting. If you really want joy, you have to think outside of yourself. You have to get rooted in something deeper. Here's the question. Am I allowing external circumstances to rob me of joy? Am I allowing external circumstances to rob me of joy? Joy is assured. Why don't I have it? Possible that the external circumstances of your life are actually robbing you of it because you're looking for it in the surrounding and not going deep in the roots. Here's the last part. Joy, prayer, joy, and the cross. And I'll end here. 
Jesus says, and it sort of seems like an addendum to what, what he's saying here, a lot of wisdom. He says, in that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. He's saying, you don't have to ask me anymore. You can actually just pray right to the Father. What does he say? Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. This is so crucial to our joy. What if, what if what Jesus is ultimately saying here is just really simple? Answered prayer, answered prayer can be a source of your joy, right? What if Jesus wants to answer your prayers? What if Jesus wants to say um, yes to your prayers, where, where, you'd, where you'd come to him and say, I'm in pain, I'm worried about that other person. I'm worried about this in my life. I'm worried about my housing situation. I'm in, I'm in need of joy because actually this is a season of deep and great longing for me. And the joy that you would get is from him answering your prayer. And I think that maybe this resonate, resonates so deeply with me in the sense that um, I was talking to Rose about this yesterday. We were working on this little presentation here. And I was like, you know, Christmas means that, you know, Jesus went to great lengths to, to be with us, right? The word is, and I was like trying to get her to say it, and she said, Isaiah. I'm like really close. Emmanuel, right? Like God with us, right? What if God wants to answer our prayers and actually it would bring him joy and it would bring us deep joy? Because ultimately what, what this passage actually is saying, he says it a little bit later in verse 27. We don't have time for all that, but it, God wants to answer our prayers because God loves us. Like, that's actually the message here. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Are you giving God an, an opportunity to answer your prayer, and actually that answered prayer would give you the joy? The question is this. Am I praying expectantly in the name of Jesus? Right? And I love that he, he adds that addendum. He says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. So often I can pray and I can say, God, you know, I want this, I want this, I want this. What, what am I actually doing? I'm praying in my name. Like, God, give me these things in my name. And Jesus is like, well, no, 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 actually, give God an opportunity to answer the prayer, but do it in my name, in the name of Jesus. And there would be power in there. Now, why would I combine prayer, joy, and the cross? Here's the last verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And listen to this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. No one is more joyful than Jesus. No one is more joyful than Jesus. If somebody has something too, like overflowing, filling to the brim in their life, You'll want to spend time with them so you can get that. Jesus is saying, fix, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus because Jesus is actually the most joyful thing. He is so joyful that he's willing to go to the cross. And this bridges, this is, you know, full Christmas message here, as if it bridges the manger and the cross. That, that Jesus would be willing to come in that way, joyful, happy to do it, right? If I'm up in heaven, I'm not, I'm not coming down and being a baby. Never, Right? Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm actually willing to do that. I'm willing to go further. It's, it's my absolute joy to go to the cross. And so um, what we do every week as we end our services, we come and partake of communion together. And um, maybe, maybe like this 
moment in our Christmas message would be just that moment to remember that Jesus doesn't want to just come and resonate with you, like in your humanity, but he wants to be the God that saves you. And all you have to do, now that's going to bring you so much joy, but all you have to do is say yes to that. And so come and receive the elements. Let's, let's stand together if, um, if our communion servers would come forward with the elements. Um, each week we partake of communion together as a way uh, of saying um, we understand Jesus' body broken for us and his blood poured out um, for the forgiveness of sins. Um, if that's you today, come and receive the elements. Um, if that's not you today, I left you a lot of questions um, to think about, and so please uh, take the time. You can please come forward with those. So let me pray, um, and then we'll come and partake of this meal together today.